Well, good morning. It's been quite a week. Last Sunday, I, I left really fast after service because I had a flight to catch to the Bay Area uh, to care for my mom. She had cataract surgery where they uh, literally remove your old lenses and put new lenses in. So for the first time since she was 13 years old, my mom's 81, no glasses. So she sees better than I do. That's why I need to have a stool so I don't fall over looking at my notes. 2025 vision. Pretty, pretty amazing uh, technology uh, that can have that. And I feel like I've been gone for more than a week because what's going on in the world, folks? We had a, a primary a few days ago. We had a leap year yesterday. Anyone have a, a 20, uh, February 29th birthday in here? Any leap babies? None? No? Okay. Well, that's good because I think there are about 5 million people in the world that have their birthday on that day that Julius Caesar, by the way, set up. Uh, we have... Super Tuesday coming up uh, uh, in three days. And then can you imagine this? The election is 247 days away. Doesn't it feel like when you turn on the TV, it feels like it's going to happen next week? Like it's already happened. It's already decided or something. It's kind of crazy. What else is in the news? Anything else? Nothing? Nothing? I see there's a lot of empty chairs. I think people are staying home (laughs) for fear of the coronavirus. We have to go back to school, don't we? Don't we, Bill? Like, remember how to, how to wash our hands? Like, kids learn how to wash their hands. And what is it? Sing the birthday song twice through. So people are a little bit uh, nervous, uh, and rightly so, even uh, hitting close to home. And then the stock market, what happened with the market? Now, listen, I, I'm not going to give you ever, I'll never give you political advice. Uh, and I'm not a professional, so don't take my financial advice. But let me just say, As long as you're not planning to cash out your 401k anytime soon, it will be just fine. It's going to be okay. In fact, some say this is a time to buy because everyone's just a little on edge. Would you agree? Everyone's a little uptight. Would you agree? And so, what a perfect time to open the book of Revelation. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 13. Now, let's let's just call it what it is. The book of Revelation... It's many things, and one of those things, it's kind of strange, isn't it? I mean, it's really kind of out there, isn't it? It's called apocalyptic writing. When we think of something apocalypse, we think of the end of the world and and explosions and cats and dogs living together and crazy stuff like that. But apocalypse really means an unveiling. God is showing us something. And and the book of Revelation, the testimony of Jesus given to, uh, to John, it's meant to do at least two things, maybe more, but two things if you're taking notes. Number one, it's to calm the nerves of believers, to calm us down. That's the word that we need to hear today. And also to encourage our allegiance to Jesus as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I think we need that today more than ever too, to be calm and to build and to be encouraged in our allegiance to Jesus How does the book of Revelation do those two things? By revealing to us what's really going on, helping us see the bigger picture of what's really going on in the world. And so last week, we looked at all of chapter 12, where John sees this vision of a dragon. That dragon represents Satan, the deceiver, the evil one, the accuser, going after, first trying to go after Uh, Jesus, and since he's not able to get to Jesus, it says that he's going after the church. 
of Jesus Christ. To attack those who do two things, who keep to the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. And that attack is ongoing. And we'll see here some of the nuances of that attack. So to read the first part of chapter 13, I'd like to invite Elder Ben Jones to come on up here. And he's going to read uh, from God's word. And I'm going to invite us to stand in honor of God's word as he comes up. Here we go. Revelation 13, 1 through 10. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword, with a sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Word of the God. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Please be seated. And give to your sister's life. Not a bedtime story, is it? You feel more calm now? A dragon last week and now a sea monster. What's going on here? What's going on here is John is seeing a vision. He's helping his people. He's helping us understand what's really going on in the world through this highly uh, figurative, symbolic language of real realities of what's going on. And so that real reality we looked at last week, it's very clear, Satan hates Jesus. And because he can't get to Jesus he comes after his people. And how does he do it? Well, we see here in this, this text that Satan pursues this war against Jesus' people, the church, by conjuring up an imitation gospel. He pursues this war by conjuring up, calling forth an imitation, a, a mimicking of the true gospel. And we've seen this, uh, this, this newsreel repeated again and again of how the evil one does this, that he's the father of lies, he's the deceiver. And so he does things that look similar. They're a reflection of, in a way, the, the gospel truth and the love and the, and the mercy of God in a way that twists that truth into lies and hate and, and blasphemy. So how does he do it here? Well, we've seen there's the dragon, and we see now... A, a beast out of the sea, and next week we will see uh, an, another beast from the earth. It's as though there is an unholy trinity. We have Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet that we'll look at next week, uh, and then that's mimicked, mimicking the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting that Satan can't come up with his own original material? He takes what's true and good and pure and twists it and changes it, and that's what we have here, an unholy trinity. Now, last week we talked about the dragon, and the dragon is Satan, the deceiver, the evil one. What about the sea monster? What is the sea monster represent? Well, John, as he's recording what Jesus has him to record, we, we need to make sense of, of what context might he go back to to help understand this for his people, for us. And again and again, we've gone to the Old Testament, haven't we? Daniel chapter 7. Daniel has a very similar experience of vision. Very similar to what we see here. This, this beast coming out of the sea, and the sea always represents chaos and, and a source of, of, of evil and, and scariness. Coming, anything coming out of, out of the water is never a good thing in the Old Testament. This is a beast that, has, uh, that he saw. It says he's, it's like a leopard, its feet like a bear's, its mouth like a lion's. Daniel sees these same beasts individually coming forth. And in the book of Daniel and throughout the Old and New Testament, these figures of animals represent evil empires, military or political powers, or individual leaders who are stand-ins, who are conjured forth and given by the dragon, by Satan, authority, power, and, and exercise of a throne over people. And so that's what we're seeing here. So I would ask you to reference uh, the book of Daniel, the first seven verses there, to see that parallel. Job chapter 40 and 41. Out of the book of Job, we have the, the Leviathan. Let's all say that together, class. Leviathan. That's a sea monster that comes forth in chapter 40. 41 has the behemoth, again, representing evil forces that are called forth by the evil one to exercise evil purposes on earth. So John is part of the same line of prophetic words that we see from the Hebrew scriptures through to the last book of the, Old, uh, of the New Testament. Evil powers, empires, and even individual leaders are in mind here. Now, how do we make sense of that? I just said to you that, that empires and governments even and militaries are, are part of this evil influence of the evil one. What do we make sense of that? Because in Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul specifically says that governments are instituted and given authority by God. And so he says in Romans 13 that Christians are to submit to those authorities as if, as if unto God. We're to obey the civil uh, laws. We're to be the best citizens that we possibly can. Romans 13 would really be teaching us as an application because all authority comes from God. And yet here in Revelation 13, John is saying that this power that they have, this authority, this throne that these governments and military leaders have, that authority is coming from not God, but from the evil one. So which is it? Well, both are true. Both are true. Governments, those in leadership and power, are given the authority by the living God. And yet what John wants us to see here is when these political empires rise up from blasphemy, they reject God and go, they think their own way, but they are lockstep in the way of the evil one. 
let me show you an example. I like to uh, sometimes preach out of our booklet and take notes, and maybe if you're taking notes with these Revelation uh, booklets, um, I like to underline things that might stand out and circle words or phrases. Look at verse 3. It says, One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. What might that mean? Well, again, it could mean at least one, at least two things that I, that I found. One, again, there's that mimicking of that imitation gospel. What have we already seen in chapter 5? We've seen the lamb as those slain, the Lord Jesus, the lamb as those slain who's ruling in heaven. And here, this antichrist has a, a wound that seems to have healed over somewhat, right? It seems to be pretty resilient. In fact, this wound seems to have seems to not have slowed down this beast that has multiple heads to spare, I suppose. Also, what the first readers of this revelation would know of the context of this time, which would have been in the late 90s uh, after Christ, that in 68 uh, AD, Nero, uh, historians record, took his life by suicide. Nero, the emperor of Rome, took his life by suicide. But there were rumors that went around that actually he was revived and that he was well and living probably in the same way that back in the years ago we used to think Elvis was still alive, right? The Inquirer would say there were sightings of Elvis. Well, there were sightings of Nero. That, uh, that wound to his head healed and that he was still moving. And here's John being caught up to heaven and seeing this vision of a leader, an antichrist, who engenders what kind of response? Goodwill? Your vote at the next election? No, more than that. Worship. Look, it says, it says multiple times. Look at verses, verse 4, twice, and then verse 8 at least once. This is emperor worship. The, the people are so moved, it says that they worship the beast. They said, who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? I've said this before, I'll say it again. Dogs bark, birds fly, uh, fish in the sea swim, and human beings we worship. That's what we're designed to do. We find somebody or something to put on a pestle, to lift up, to turn our gaze to, to give glory to. And here it is, those that are blinded to what Satan is actually doing are worshiping the beast, this p political figure that's manipulating the worship of these people. Now, this is true then, it's true throughout the millennia, and it will speed up in these end times. There's yet an Antichrist to come, the likes of which we've never seen. We think, well, the flu wasn't that bad. We, have a, a, uh, we, have, we can get our shots right in October, no big deal. And then the corona happens, doesn't it? Things get worse before they get better. And so we have here the Antichrist. A little aside, a little inside baseball, if you're playing a little inside baseball, uh, Romans chapter 13, when Paul wrote that, and he was actually under house arrest, but he wrote it when Claudius was the emperor, and Claudius was the emperor who actually downplayed emperor worship at that time. And so some commentators think uh, maybe Paul was somewhat influenced that, that he was being treated pretty well, and the emperor had kind of toned down the rhetoric a little bit at that time. When John records these words in Revelation 13, Domitian is the emperor, and he is ramped up big time 
emperor worship. In fact, that's why John is on Patmos in the first place, because he was unwilling to give a special sacrifice at an altar specifically for the emperor. You could go look that one up on your own. I want to read a passage of scripture to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says this. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And that's exactly, in its own way, what John is recording here, what he's showing here. Why people aren't calm, but actually quite worked up. Why people are leaving their allegiance to Christ and watering it down in those seven churches and following the ways of the world out of fear and here out of blindness. So how do we stay calm? And how do we encourage allegiance to Jesus Christ? Well, it's always going to be with preaching for Pastor Pete, first and foremost, coming back to the gospel, coming back to the truth of the good news. Now, I don't, I'll just, no show of hands here, but I'll just raise my, does anyone here remember what my application points were last week? That's okay. If you're watching at home, everyone raised their hand, but that's okay. Listen. <laughs> uh, we talked about making a claim, taking a stand, and testifying to Jesus' name. That was the application point. But the, the, the gospel is always going to be about what Christ has done for us, not what we can do. First and foremost, what's the gospel reference here? The gospel references to what Christ has done. So what's the answer? How do we stay calm? How do we encourage allegiance? It's found in verse 8, page 48, if you're looking in your little journal. It's to know that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. Before the foundation of the world, your name written in the book of the Lamb. That's the answer. Say, well, Pastor Pete, what do I have to do? You don't have to do anything. It's already been done for you. That is the gospel. It's clinging to that. It's that Jesus has already claimed you. It's that Jesus stand, stood for you at Calvary. That even now he testifies to his Father on your behalf. That is the gospel. Folks, when we jump, we jump to the application, okay, well, tell me what to do. First and foremost, what has he done for me? And the calm that can bring from that and the peace that passes understanding and the allegiance to Christ it first starts there of what Christ has done for us underline that I doubled underlined verse 8 all who dwell on earth will worship it the beast everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world and the book of life of the lamb who was slain does anyone know that date what was the date that that book was written Anybody? Before Julius Caesar even put together our calendar, right? Before the foundation of the world, your name was written down. What a joy. What a joy. Now, out of that, out of that being the motivation, not a motivation of, of fear or, or religious, I, I, I have got to do this, I've got to do that, but out of a, a sense of, how do I respond with joy to what Lord has done for me? There's at least three things, maybe four things that I see in the text. And these are meant to be timeless truths uh, from Scripture. So let's not 
Let's see how they apply in our time, March 1st, 2020, but also consider how this would be an application in any time and in any place, in any continent where the church is down. Number one, this is what I wrote. This is not gospel. This is just Pastor Pete's words. Hold allegiance to political parties lightly. That's what I think we're learning here from these first verses in chapter 13, to hold our allegiance to political parties or political leaders or, or, or any individual. Hold it lightly. Consider how even those things that are, come out of God-given authority and goodness can be twisted so easily that, that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. So let's hold it lightly. Number two, to re-pledge allegiance first and foremost to Christ and his kingdom. Remember, the reason why these people, that our brothers and sisters, are being attacked, it says here, being allowed even to, to, be, uh, to be allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, goes back to chapter 12, verse 17, which if you haven't underlined already, you should. That these spiritual forces are, are attacking because these are people who, quote, keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So very simply, how do we make sense of it? When the, what we are instructed by our civil government is in line with Scripture, we obey, and we are the best citizens in the country. When those rules and laws cause any believer to betray their faith, to go against the good news of Jesus Christ, we, in a civil way, are disobedient. And that is the nature and the history of the church for two millennia. You can consider how that might be applied in your own life. Number three, we're to remember that the enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not your, your neighbor with a yard sign or your colleague with a, a bumper sticker or, or someone who disagrees with you politically. Our enemy is a spiritual force. And this force cannot be defeated by, by force. A spiritual force that can't be defeated by force. In fact, we already saw that mortal wound that was, that was inflicted, it just healed over and actually engendered more response from the people. So how do we fight back? What are we as believers called to do? How do we defeat the evil one? By the word of God. By the word of God. Ephesians 6, 17 says that we're to take up the one offensive weapon given of the armor uh, to believers, the sword of truth. Revelation 1.16 says that Christ, his, his very tongue is that sword. In Matthew chapter 4, we have the temptations of Christ, and how does he respond as the devil tries to deceive and, and uh, delay him and, and conjure things up? What does he do every time? He calls on scripture each and every time. And in Matthew 4, 8 to 11, the evil one says, Come up here, let me show you all of the kingdoms of the world. I've been given authority. Yes, the Father has given him for 42 months, meaning for a short time, for a, a set amount of time that we're coming very, very close to the end to have that authority on earth. All these kingdoms are mine if you but bow down and worship me. And what does Jesus do? He quotes scripture. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. If that's good enough for Jesus... That's good enough for me. And finally, the text calls us to worship. 
you see that again and again, this, this sense of people very much divided. This is a, a worldview of there are those that follow one form of worship or another. What will bring calmness and allegiance? It's that we lift high the name of Jesus, even when it costs us. John says, even if it takes everything from you. Look at verse 10. He says it in a poetic way, but that doesn't sugarcoat the reality of what these words are saying. He says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. And then these words, if anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword must he be slain. What's it saying? He's saying, if it's God's will to allow this to happen to you, for you to be thrown into prison, but if it brings glory to God and furthers the kingdom purposes, so be it. If they take your life, but it brings glory to God and furthers the kingdom, God, your will be done, not mine. That's what John is saying here. And he says, for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. What possibly could we imagine here in Washington State, U.S. of A, what kind of persecution might we face? Nothing like what our brothers and sisters faced here in Asia Minor or around the world even now. But what would happen, let's just, let's just hypothetically, if our tax exemption was taken away as a church, if we continue to teach certain things, would we change what we teach? Church? Okay. Because if I start teaching something that's not in Scripture, you, can, you, can, you have every permission, you don't need mine, but you to fire me from that. That's the application here. It's about worship in the face of potential trial and hardship in these end times when the final Antichrist will come and is coming soon and may even be in our midst even now. We need to be eyes wide open, hearts wide open to see what's really going on and to trust in the Lord. Friends, these elements are more than elements. Do you see what's happening here? This is a foretaste of the kingdom to come. Let's take a moment to prepare our hearts to come before the table. So Lord God, we pray even now in this quiet moment, we'll just take a quiet moment because there's been a lot of music that's wonderful and singing that's terrific and listening to me talk. But Lord, we want to take just this quiet moment to pray prayers of confession. If there's anything that's weighing heavy on your heart, anything that you're aligned to, that you've pledged your allegiance to, that you know comes before Christ or butts right up against Christ, let's take our time even now to confess those things. They've already been paid for on the cross. Let's take that moment right now to do that. I know we're easily distracted right now, so just I want to bring your attention back to what's happening here, what the Holy Spirit may be saying to you, may be prompting in you. Let's take a moment to pray for those in need in our community, for those even in our own church. We have some folks that are, are not feeling well and they're home today. 
Let's pray for, again, not with my words, but with your own, for uh, those that may be impacted by, by what's happening. Father in heaven, may the bread we break and the cup we bless be for us the very body and blood of Christ, that, Lord, we would be communing directly with you through your spirit. We pray, Lord, that for all those that are celebrating, even, even today, a meal like this with brothers and sisters, Lord, that, that there would be a calm, a peace that passes understanding that would come, that our hearts, our affections, Lord, our worship would turn 100% focused on you, God. Give us eyesight, better than 2020 eyesight, to see spiritually uh, the reality and truth of the gospel. And Lord, that we would reject any counterfeit, any counterfeit message or messenger that might lead us astray. Lord, I pray that you would feed us at this table spiritually, Lord, for all that come, Lord, that put their faith in Jesus can know their name is written in the book of life. Lord, for anyone here who doesn't know that truth, Lord, today is the day, oh God, confirm in their heart that they would confess Jesus is Lord and know that before the foundation of the world, Lord, you claim them as your very own. Amen.